First Kings chapter 8. It's uh, maybe a familiar passage to you. It's a prayer of King Solomon. King Solomon, as you know, is the son of King David. And King David had it in his heart, Scripture says, to build a temple, to build a house for the Lord, so that the presence of God might dwell with the people of God indefinitely, eternally, forever and ever, with no break. That God just wouldn't have a tent, that He wouldn't just have a cloud by day or fire by night, that He would have a place to reside with the people. The temple was about the presence of God. Solomon had the pleasure of building that temple. The Lord said to King David, Solomon's father, because you've had this great thing in your heart, that's enough. Almost as if to say, David, you get it. David, you understand, you don't even have to go through with it. Just the desire of your heart alone is enough. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take it and I'm going to give this task to the next guy. I'm going to give this task to your son Solomon. And the man who would become the wisest, the richest man to have ever lived, he's going to learn some some great wisdom through the task of building my temple. Well, Solomon does just that. Solomon, uh, as you know, the wisest man to have ever lived, Scripture says, the richest man to have ever lived, he takes on the task that his father had in his heart, and he's going to build God a house. 1 Kings chapter 8 is the points in uh, ministry, in transition of cornerstone, etc. I've always wondered, you know, what, what is that first message when you have these watershed Sundays that the man in the pulpit should teach? You know, that's, there's always that pressure. What is the first message for a new ministry like this? What do, what do you teach? And I always come back to the prayer of Solomon for a number of reasons, but I'm going to point out one reason to you in particular today. Can we read a little bit of it here? Start in verse 22 with me. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. Now, this is in the shadow of this newly built temple, a house for the presence of God to dwell. And Solomon spread out his hands toward heaven, and this is what he said, verse 23. O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on the earth below, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant, my father David, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day, in particular, that a temple would be built by David's son. Now, therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel, if only your sons take heed to their way to walk before me as you have walked. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word, I pray, be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, my father David. In verse 27, Solomon makes a turn in his prayer. It's an odd verse, and here's where I want to focus today. But will God indeed dwell on the earth, Solomon asks in his prayer? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven, literally the heaven of the heavens, cannot contain you how much less. How much less, how much less this house which I have built. 
Why is that an odd verse? Let me tell you why, in part, that is an odd verse. It's an odd part of Solomon's prayer because Solomon spent an exorbitant amount of money, time, energy, resources to build this house. Scripture says that it took over seven years for Solomon to build the temple of God so that the presence of God might dwell with his people forever and ever. Seven years. Think about that now. Rusty, our youth minister, he's building his own house. And it's probably going to take you a while, right, Rusty? Right, probably going to take a while. It depends on money coming in, time you got. If we keep you up here at the church 24-7, you know, uh, does he have enough daylight to go and, and, and do the things? If he's going to do it himself, it's going to take even longer. If he's going to use some people, that might speed up the process a little bit. But sometimes it can take you a while to build a house, right? If you have your house built, what is it, about three, four months to have your house built now? Maybe even faster with the housing market the way it is. Builders build your house in a week probably. Sometimes it takes a long time. When I was growing up, the first house that my parents built, the house they still live in, the house I grew up in, it took them over a year to build. I remember we lived with my grandfather. He had an extra. We had to wait on the time. We, had to, we just had to go through the motions. And let me say something here. Seven years. Okay. But Solomon had no lack of funds. Solomon had no lack of resources. Solomon had no lack of workers. In fact, he had the finest of everything And he had everything at his disposal, and it still took seven years. Are you getting the picture? Elaborate. Lots of time, lots of energy, lots of money, lots of care, lots of interest, the finest craftsman, everything handmade, the finest architect, the finest electrician. Some of y'all get that later. (laughs) The finest gold, bronze, silver. All the finest jewels that you could think of. They were all in there. And he, all, he had it all. It wasn't that he was waiting around. It took seven years to get the cedar in. He had it. He had forests of his own to cut down and build. So why would a man who invested so much in this house for the Lord get to the prayer of dedication... Recount the faithfulness of God that he could even build the temple. That God was faithful to the word he gave to King David, his father. That now he could accomplish the task that was in the heart of his father. And then he gets down to this verse and he says, But wait a minute. But wait a minute. And you would expect, you know, if you didn't read that verse, you would expect that this is the time where uh, Solomon's standing there at the dedication, and he says, move that bus, and God, here you go, here's your house. Here's your keys. Don't you, don't you love it? Check out those cedar beans. How about those gold curtain thingies? And you begin to realize, as soon as you think that, how absurd it is, right? How ridiculous that is. And I wonder, Scripture doesn't tell us, but I wonder what was in the heart of Solomon when he came down to this part in his prayer and he says, But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less, how much less, now don't forget how grand, how much less this house that I've built. Seven years plus. Solomon gets to this point and he says, Are you really even going to bother with this, Lord? 
The heavens cannot contain you. As if God would be impressed by the fine furnishings. As if God would be impressed by the fine decor. As if God would be impressed by the good location. Silly, huh? God God has all that at His disposal. In fact, He designed it all. He created it all. It was His idea. Not to mention the fact that He's God. Does He really need a house? Does He really need a house to live in? A door to shut? A bed to sleep in? That it's not about the facade. It's not about the appearance. It's not about the decorations. It's not about um, the outside, if you will. I think Solomon got to the end of this time and and he went to this dedication and he realized... As elaborate and as grand as much attention and care that was given to the construction of God's house, this was, after all, still God. And then he could not purchase the presence of God through the elaborate decorations. You see where I'm going here? I think Solomon realized... This isn't going to do it. Just a big, fancy house isn't going to do it. The heart of Solomon and the heart of his father David was to have the presence of God with the congregation without disruption. Now, at the end of seven years, with all this stuff that Solomon had done, I think, he, I think he started to realize, you know what, this isn't going to do it. Just because I build it doesn't mean God's going to come. He's not going to be so impressed that he shows up, takes his keys, and says, I'm moving in. I'm moving in. For God, it's always about more. It's always about something deeper, isn't it? The question um, that has struck me uh, as we approach uh, a new day in our ministry here is, uh, as I pray for our church and as I pray for this ministry, is uh, more than anything... If I could pray and ask God to just be with us, to hear us, to keep his eye on us, to be here. Solomon continues his prayer here, 30 verses. 30 verses. You know what the rest of this prayer is about? It's Solomon asking God, Would you continue to watch us? Would you continue to see what's going on here in your house? And would you hear from heaven? Listen to this. 29, that your eyes may be open towards this house day and night. 30, listen to the supplication of your servant and your people. 32, then hear, Lord. 34, then hear in heaven. 36, then hear in heaven. 39, then hear in heaven. 43, here in heaven where you are dwelling, God. 45, then here in heaven. You see the desire of Solomon's heart? God, don't leave us. Don't forsake us. Do not depart from us. I know you're not impressed by this grand thing that I thought was so elaborate and that took me so long to build. I know that's not going to do it. I know you're not going to set up residence automatically just because it's so impressive. 
God, please don't leave us. When we sin, don't leave us. Would you hear our cries? That's the rest of the prayer of King Solomon. God, we're going to mess up. Please don't leave us. Please stay with us. Please rest in this place. That's my prayer for us. Now, that leads me to the question. How do we... We know from Solomon's words that just because we build it, he's not going to come. Just because we fix things up doesn't mean he's going to show up. Doesn't mean that he's going to have his hand upon us. Doesn't mean that he's going to bless us. Doesn't mean that he's going to abide in this place. But I'm still crying out, Lord, would you see and hear all that is going on in this place and don't leave us. There are a couple places in Scripture And there may be more, but I want to focus on a couple this morning. There are a couple places in particular in Scripture that tell us very specifically and very directly what it takes to get God to hang out. Where will God set up residence? Where will the Lord literally tabernacle with his people? I can think of a couple passages in particular. Psalm 22 says, popular verse, that the Lord, he is holy. And he inhabits the praises of his people. Did you catch that? He inhabits the praises of his people. Where does God Almighty, the creator of the universe, choose to live, choose to reside? Where does he choose to rest? Because that's where we want to be, right? Psalm 22 says... That the Lord God, the Holy One, He inhabits the very praises of His people. God wants to be where He is exalted and He is lifted up. So what does that mean? This has to be a place that exalts the glory and the fame of our Creator God. Amen? Pretty simple. Pretty simple. You know what Psalm 22 is also translated as? It literally, the Hebrew means, instead of inhabitants, it's more than just this idea that God would take up residence. Another literal translation, if you have an NAS, it probably says that the Lord, He is enthroned by the praises of His people. He is enthroned, that's a verb, by the praises of His people. We want God's presence, we want God's hand upon us. How do we get it? Through the praises. What does that do, Psalm 22? It enthrones him. Are you getting that picture? Who sits on the throne? The king sits on the throne. The dictator sits on the throne. The one and only sits on the throne. The judge on high sits on the throne. The one who gets to decide between right and wrong. The one who gets to decide whether we go left or right. The one who gets to decide black and white. The one who gets to declare justice. The one who gets to... Share mercy. He alone gets to sit on the throne. The Lord God is enthroned by the praises of his people. You know what we do when we praise God? When we come with pure hearts, pure motivations to lift him up. Scripture says that it's our way of lifting him up and placing him in his rightful position on the throne. Where he can rule and reign in the midst of his people. Isn't that a beautiful picture? This ministry, we want his continued presence. We want him to hear our cries. We want him to see our plight. 
one surefire way, Scripture says, is to lift him up. Praise him with our life and our lips. There's another passage I want to show you, and I want you to turn to this one. Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. Isaiah is a prophet to the nation of Israel, and as many of the prophets of the nation of Israel, Isaiah has the task of taking the nation of Israel and getting them out of this religious-minded uh, activity and getting them to the heart of the matter. Taking them out of the religious activity, just doing the things, just putting on the facade, just doing the outside stuff, and helping them to see what the reality is, what the truth is, the deeper stuff, the, 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 the real spirituality. And you know the history of Israel. They were always caught up in the, in the outside stuff. They were always caught up in the facade. They were always caught up in the decorations. Isaiah has the task of helping them to see deeper, see clearer. Helping them to see that God is not a genie in a bottle that sits in the Holy of Holies waiting on the nation of Israel to enter in, rub three times, and get three wishes. I mean, he's the God of the universe. He's bigger than that. Listen to what God says through the prophet Isaiah. Don't miss that. Listen to what God says in his own words through the prophet Isaiah to this people. Chapter 66, I'll begin in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Now, are you seeing that? Where does God sit down? Where does he reside? In his own words, he says, you know what? Uh, I sit here in the heavens, and I'm big enough. I'm big enough that I use the earth as my footstool. You get the language here? He doesn't want us to miss that. The magnitude of this God that we're talking about, that the nation of Israel is time after time put in a box that we, lest we be too hard on Israel, put in a box. Use him as our genie to get what we want. That God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? Literally, he says, where then is the resting place that you could build for me? You're going to put me in a little room? When he says resting place, it's not the idea that God has to sit down and take a break. It's the idea that the presence of God lingers, dwells, abides, sits on, stays. It rests like a fog. Where is the house you could build for me and where is the place that I might rest? Take up residence in a place that we could build for you with bricks and stone and mortar and gold and silver and bronze. Where will you reside? Where will you bring your presence to? Where will you rest? Look at what he says. But here's where I will rest. But to this one I will look. Now, who is this one? The idea here is 
God says that this one I will look. Here's the place where I will bring my presence to. Here's the place where I will sit down and stay. Here's the place where I will abide. He says it's in this one. Who's the one? He tells you in the next line. In the one who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. To him who is humble and literally broken hearted of spirit who trembles at my word. We want the presence of God. We know it can be found in our praise. That as we lift God up, He will draw near to us. Isaiah 66 says there's another place where God will set up residence. And it's in the one who is humble, contrite, broken-hearted in spirit, and who trembles at my word. You see where God says he will live? He will live in you and I. Now, some of you came to church this morning thinking that if you showed up to this building that had a steeple and that said church out on the front, that God would automatically be here. Unfortunately, that's not true. That if you put your hour in this morning, then you could count that towards your time that you spent with God. But that's not automatically true. God says very specifically, here is where I would like to rest and abide. And here is the place I will visit. It's the heart of the humble and the contrite in spirit. The one who trembles at my very word. It's you. Where does God want to live? He wants to live in us. The New Testament says, you know it well, that we are his temple. Do you not know that you are? No? Maybe. If you are a believer, if you are a child of God, The residence of God is, Scripture says, it is in you. The next verse goes on to say, Do you not know that you have been bought with a price? You see, you, according to Scripture, are God's residence, believer. And there's no kicking God out. There is no kicking God out. Do you not know you've been bought with a price? He's purchased you. I saw it. It, uh, it broke me. And the skit went something like this. You'd get a couple guys up on the stage, and one guy was silent. He was Jesus. And the other guy was a normal college kid, like the rest of us, who would watch these skits. And the normal college kid, uh, who supposed to be a believer, he would start his day, he would read his Bible, he would pray, he would do everything on the outside, the facade, the appearance that you would believe a normal, good Christian should do. But then later on in that day, in that skits day, you'd see that that college student would begin to do other things. But the whole time as you went through in this skit the day of this one college young man, you saw that he had this tag-along. And this other guy in the skit would just stand back, maybe off to the side. He wouldn't say a thing. But wherever this young man went, 
This other guy was right there with him. And the young man quickly realizes that it's, it's Jesus who has taken up residence in his life now as a believer. And no matter what he does, no matter where he goes, Jesus is always there. Because he is the temple. He is the residence. And then the, the skit starts to get a little hard. It gets past the reading the Bible. It gets past the prayer time. It gets past the, uh, the uh, occasional word of greetings to the guy who's hanging out behind him. And it gets to date night. It gets to the party on the hill with the rest of the boys. It gets to uh, the parking lot in the car with his girlfriend. And guess who's always there? Jesus. Towards the end, uh, the young man begins to get frustrated. No matter how hard he tries to get Jesus just to stay home. Just stay in the dorm, Jesus. I'll be back. I'm going to go out with my buddies. I'll be back. Just stay here. He walks off, and Jesus follows him. He's there. He's always there. The skit ends by him grabbing the arms of Jesus, restraining him, saying, Stay here in all-out anger. And then motioning to nail him to the cross. Stay here. And he walks away on his own. Now, I don't know about all the theology behind that, but I just know this, that it always impacted me that God has set up residence in my life. It's not a choice if I'm his. He has bought me with a price. Where does God want to live? He wants to live here. Here's the other thing I think about when I think about that New Testament passage. It says that we are his temple. I think about Jesus in the temple. You remember Jesus in the temple? Jesus in the temple caused a ruckus. Why? Because there was all kinds of monkey business, shenanigans, whatever you want to call it, Preston. Money changers, etc. And when Jesus came into his house and he saw all this stuff going on that shouldn't be going on in there, what happened? Tables got turned over. Tables got turned over. We want the press that we are his temple. We are his temple. And when we realize that, we have to start to take inventory of what's in the house, what's left, what needs to go, lest Jesus come in flipping over tables. Amen? Let me say this. If you are a believer and there is stuff in your life that you are allowing to stay in your life and it doesn't bother you, you may want to ask yourself twice, do I truly believe what I say I believe? Is Jesus really Lord of my life? Because listen, if Jesus comes into the temple and things aren't the way they should be, there will be turmoil. He won't allow us to rest. Solomon wanted the presence of God. Solomon wanted the presence of God. My desire is that God stay with us, that He stays with us. Here with us. Uh, I have no, uh, I'm under no false illusions that because Cornerstone has come out of a school and now we're in a building and uh, we've got a little bit of 
land to spread out on, that that automatically infers that God will bless our activity or that it automatically infers that God will join us in our activity. But what I do know is, what Scripture tells us, is that when we praise Him, He will draw near to us. He will show up. You know the question that that always leads me to? Is if I don't feel God near, if I don't feel His presence near, if I feel like God is afar off, I have to ask myself, how's my praise? How's my worship? If God draws near when I lift Him up, and I don't feel Him near, then I have to always ask myself, how's my worship? Number two, we know from Scripture that God inhabits not just the praises of His people, but He inhabits His very people. As a church and as individuals, we've got to keep the temple cleaned out. We've got to create a place where God has the throne of our hearts. We have to be like James says, the man who looks intently into the law of liberty and doesn't just take a glance and walk away forgetting what he saw, but that he comes away changed after looking in the mirror of the law of liberty and he sees every blot, every blemish, every wrinkle that is in his flesh. And he does something about it. We're not here today to dedicate uh, this new building or even this new ministry, frankly. We're here to dedicate um, ourselves. As a congregation, uh, my prayer is that we dedicate this as a place where he will be number one for must be smiling today. Every morning on Sundays before I come in, I pray, God, would you, would you visit with us this morning? I pray that our worship would beckon you. I pray that our worship would draw you near. It would be like sweet incense rising up to his throne. Let's pray.